The following teaching is possible thanks to the friends and partners of Spirit and Truth Fellowship International. Hi, my name is Jeff Tyler, and I'm excited to share with you. The title of this teaching is Stir Up the Gift. Now, just in getting started, I kind of share with you what the message is around Stir Up the Gifts before we get there. The basic message is that God's plan of redemption and salvation means when we are saved, we become a part of God's family. And in that, everyone has a gift ministry, a service to perform, something that God has equipped and enabled us to do. And God encourages us to grow up and serve him by using our gift or our gifts, our talents. In other words, doing our part. The result is when we do our part that we build up the body of Christ in this lifetime, and one day when he returns, we will also build for ourselves rewards in the future for our faithful service to him. So this teaching uh, is in several parts. Part one would actually be a background and a setup to stir up the gift and what that means. Part two would actually deal with what does it mean to stir up the gift? Part three, we'll take a look at some keys to understanding, recognizing our individual gifts and calling and service. And part four, we look at some keys as to how our gifts can be used and fitted together to glorify God and to build up the body of Christ as we go. So our starting text this morning is in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I'd like to read the section together um, and then take a look at what this is really saying. And what this will do is give us a context for stirring up the gift. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And by the way, I'm using the REV this morning for the uh, version of the Bible. So verse 3 says, I am grateful to God whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, having remembered your tears, so that I am filled with joy, having been reminded of the sincere trust that is in you, the kind that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also." For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and self-control. Okay, so we're in 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul is the author and the writer, uh, or, you know, God is the author, but Paul is the writer of 2 Timothy. And we remember that this is toward the end of Paul's life. I think most believe that he was in prison again at this time, and that he knew that his death was coming shortly. And so Paul is writing to his beloved uh, partner, mentee, Timothy, and he's writing some very important things. And he begins by saying, I'm grateful to God. Now again, Paul was in prison. It was a latter part of his life. Life was tough, 
probably not a great time, and yet here we, we have this truth that Paul was grateful to God for what God had done. And he says, I'm grateful to God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. I think that's significant because as we get older in life and sometimes become more reflective and we consider legacy, we consider the people that have helped us and we consider the legacy that we're leaving behind. And Paul makes this statement that he's serving with a clear conscience as his ancestors did. Now, he also then uh is praying for Timothy. He says, I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. And I think this also can be important. But he says, he tells about Timothy, having been reminded of the sincere trust that is in you, the kind that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. So this is a second reference Paul is making to having believing legacies. So because Paul first said that his ancestors, he remarked that he serves with a clear conscience like his ancestors. It appears that Paul's ancestors, his parents, grandparents, and others were godly people. They lived a godly life, and that makes a significant difference. And then he reminds Timothy that the trust that Timothy has first dwelt in Timothy's mother and her grandmother. And I think there's a great point here, and the point here has to do with how important it is to have believing families and families that love God. And particularly, again, as we, many of us, as we get older in life and reflect on life, how important it is to live godly lives and lead godly lives with our families. So the encouragement would be that um, if you came from a godly family, what a blessing that that is. If you're parents or siblings or grandparents or others come out of a godly line, that's really, really helpful and important in being raised that way. If you didn't come out of a family like that, then you can be that legacy as you are a parent or grandparent or great-grandparent and so on. So I think this, and this provides significant background actually for our topic on stirring up the gift. Along this line, I'd like to share with you a, a recent uh, um, moment for me uh, relating to this and relating to family. So my wife Pam and I each year do some planning in this past fall in our planning for the upcoming year, we decided to add mission. And I think part of that is because I recently turned 65, and so it be, it's reflective and um, reflecting about life and those kinds of things. So anyway, so we started with mission. We said, well, what is our family mission all about? We talked about different ideas and finally wrote them on a board. And over the course of the weekend, we would edit and uh, consider and rewrite uh, to where we came up with what we felt was our family mission. So we wake up the following day, we look at each other, and we said, 
that's really not the mission of our family because our family doesn't even know it exists because we just came up with it. So we considered that for the better part of a day. And what we decided is really this was less of a mission than a prayer for our family, that this would be a prayer. This was our heart's desire for our family. And so And the essence of the prayer uh, is the following, that our prayer for our family is to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ together, to grow in relationship with God, Jesus Christ, and each other, to serve together and fulfill our function in the body of Christ, and to live life to the praise of God's glory. And that was our prayer. So we took that prayer and we typed it up. We put it on our uh, bathroom mirror so that we could look at it and pray for that every day and look for opportunities to share our prayer with our family. Well, last month, our family gathered together for a big birthday celebration, and we got together in Colorado in the Rocky Mountains. And we have four children, but with spouses and fiancés and friends, there were 10 of us. And one morning, gathered around the table, um, I took the opportunity to share. And what I shared was uh, a part of my story. And it was something like this. What I shared was that the first time that we here we were looking out in the Rocky Mountains together, gathered around a table. And I shared about the first time that I saw the Rocky Mountains, and it was when I was 16 years old. Uh, three friends and I bought an Econoline van, a yellow Econoline van for about 350 bucks, and we uh, traveled out west. By the way, we probably overpaid for the Econoline van at 350 bucks. But anyway, so we traveled out west. Our first destination was the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, where there was a, a relative of one of the people I was with. It was the first time that I saw and fell in love with the Rocky Mountains. And anyway, we traveled on to California to visit with my brother who was in college at that time. We eventually ended up in New Mexico, in the tail end of the Rocky Mountains at a warm springs in New Mexico. And so, and there we lived. We hiked and lived out the mountains for about a month. So during that time, uh, I was living in a cave, it's where we stayed in the Rocky Mountains, and my family, my uh, parents were not believers. My father was uh, professing as an atheist, my mother as agnostic, and I had taken on their beliefs. So at 16 years old, I did not believe anything about God, but one night, uh, as I was Uh, going to sleep in this cave, the opening of the cave. And I looked up at the stars, and all of you that have seen the western sky on a beautiful night, it's incredible, starry, wonderful sky. And that night I looked up at the stars, and it occurred to me that something greater than me had created the heavens and the earth. And this was significant because I had really never considered that at all before. And it was overwhelming to me as I looked out at the stars. And I prayed my first prayer, and I say that in hindsight. I didn't know it was a prayer at the time. But what I said was, I said, look, I don't know who you are, 
the creator of the heavens and the earth. I don't know if your name is God. I don't know what your name is. But I know that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. And if I could ever get to know you, then I will serve you the rest of my life. And again, in hindsight, that was my heartfelt desired prayer. And that, from that moment on, built for me a deep, deep hunger to know, to get to know the creator of the heavens and the earth. And in hindsight, that really was the milestone uh, incident of my life, which has never been the same. So for the next two years, I searched to find the creator of the heavens and the earth, uh, often really looking at Eastern religion and other things, staying as far away as I could from the Bible and Jesus Christ, uh, because I just didn't know anything about it and had a, a uh, poor mindset about it. But it was about two years later where a friend was able to finally share with me about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and about the scriptures. And it's really where I learned that the path to the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is through his Son, Jesus Christ. And it's there that I learned that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And my life changed. And I began to get to know and build and start a relationship with that God, our Heavenly Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that's where I began to see that he had kept and was keeping his part of the bargain to get to know him, and that mine would be to serve him, which is what I've endeavored to do for a lifetime, is to continue to know him and build a relationship with him and to serve him. Anyway, I shared this with the family, and I went on to say that it was through those years that I, someone provided me with mountaintop checkbooks. And for me, what the mountaintop checkbook was for me was a reminder of that first answered prayer on the mountaintop, and that there were times where I could go to my Heavenly Father with sincere soul desires in need and to trust Him to hear my prayer and to help. And so I read my family some of the prayers. I was married to Diane, and we were having trouble. She was having trouble getting pregnant years and years ago. And so my first prayer in the Mountaintop Checkbook uh, which was written in March of 1983, my sole sincere desire was one healthy baby and one healthy pregnancy. And my son was born in March 1984. He was the answer to that prayer is my son, David. So my wife uh, passed away about six months after my son was born that year. And so about a month later, I picked up the mountaintop checkbook and I wrote several checks. But the first check that I wrote, this was September 4th, 1984, was my prayer to God was for the best wife for me and a mother for David. And in 1987, three years later, I married my wife, Pam, of 30 two years, and so she was an answer to prayer. 
By the way, I'm sharing this with my family, as I mentioned, last month. So as I'm looking at the table and first had said to my son, you were the answer to that first prayer, and to my wife, Pam, you were the answer to the second one. Well, Pam also had trouble getting pregnant, so in January of 89, we wrote another prayer for a healthy baby, too, and a healthy pregnancy. And that was my daughter, Sarah, who was sitting at the table. So then in 1992, Pam and I wrote another prayer for another healthy pregnancy and delivery and our third child, and that was my daughter, Jamie. And finally, in April of 96, we wrote a check for another baby, our fourth child, whole and healthy in every way, and that was my daughter, Elizabeth. So I shared with my family that as I look around the table uh, of these people, actually, all of us being together is an answer to prayer. That's how we got together, uh, and what a blessing that family is to me. And so I shared with them that I was going to write one last check on my 65th birthday, and the essence of that check is the, that I wrote is, my prayer is that our family will be together forever in the age to come. And then I gave each person around that table a check, the rest of the checks in the mountaintop checkbook, and I encouraged them to go to God and to find their sincere soul desire and that they would write that down and that they would build the relationship of trusting God over time too. And I really didn't care and I told them, I don't care if they ever tell me what that check is, it doesn't matter. What's important is that they build that relationship with God. And the reason I share all this is because this goes back to what Paul was praying for in Timothy, where he was praying constantly night and day for Timothy. But what he said to him is that he was praying, he was reminded of Timothy's sincere trust in God. And it's that trust that was first in his mother and his grandmother. It's building legacy trust and relationship with God. And I think, and my encouragement with you, if you're, if you're new in the faith, wonderful, then build that trust. If you're a parent in the faith, it's so important that you have that, or a grandparent is to continue and grow in trusting and in the relationship with God. And we do that as long as we live, if the Lord tarries. All of this is really background for the... Uh, uh, the topic of today, which is stirring up the gift. And I say that because verse 6, which is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, says, for this reason. Well, what reason? All of this background, this trust that we've been talking about, Paul now says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. This is what he said to Timothy. And by the way, the title for the teaching, Stir Up the Gift, uh, you would find if you read this verse in the old King James, because the King James says, uh, for this reason, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that is in you. So uh, REV says, fan the flame, but King James says, stir up the gift. This word stir up is a word that, that it means it means to rekindle. 
or to fan into flame or to revive or to reactivate or to cause to begin again. It basically means to fire again. And the encouragement that Paul had to Timothy here, it was reminding him to fan the flame of the gift of God. So what is it saying? Timothy had the gift when he became a part of the family of God, he was given that gift as part of the family. When I became part of the family of God in that story that I shared, I was given a gift. I was made a part of a family. The point is not the gift that's given. The point is to trust God and to stir it up. And whether we're in our 30s or our 50s or our 60s or our 80s or as long as we live, the encouragement and the responsibility is to fan that gift into flame, to keep it revived and to keep it stirred up. So um, one of the things that Pim and I love to do is sit by a fire in the evenings, particularly on the weekends. Some of you may enjoy that. And so one of the things that we do around the fire is we'll get a, I'll get the fire going around five o'clock where we can sit and just relax and kind of end the day for a while. And then we'll go in and eat dinner. We'll go to the other room uh, to eat and that fire will die down. And so what I like to do is time it such that the fire dies down while we're eating. And then when we're done eating and we've got everything cleaned up and we come back into the family room with the fireplace, it looks like the fire is almost out. However, by going back over, putting a couple of logs on, stirring just a little bit, and poof, that fire that looks like it's just embers is back into a flame. And I think that's what what Paul's prayer and encouragement to Timothy is, that he had trust, but the encouragement was because of trust, because of the legacy that Timothy had, he was reminding Timothy to fan into flame that gift that he had been given, to not let it grow cold. So the truth here is that God gives us a gift, but it's our responsibility to keep that flame hot, to not let it grow cold and cool off, and which it often does just with the headaches and the turmoil of life. Paul goes on to say, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. King James says fear, but the REV says timidity, but of power, love, and of self-control. This gift of God that is given to each one of us, God gave us a gift, and he wants us to use it. And sometimes the gifts that we're given is really just a, a, um, it's a lack of confidence or is being timid about using our God-given gifts and abilities. And so the encouragement is to that God didn't give us timidity. He gave us in this gift is power and love and self-control to be able to use the gift of God. So if you're clear, if you've been around and you've been walking with the Lord and have the relationship for a while, and if you're clear on what that gift is, is, and I suspect Timothy was clear on his gift, the encouragement was to fan that gift, to keep the flame hot for God, and to use the gift that he had for the glory of God. And that's the encouragement for us also. Now, what about the case where uh, perhaps 
it's not so clear what those gifts are that you've been given. Maybe you're younger. Maybe you're new to the walk with God. Maybe you're building in relationship with God, or maybe you're not. Maybe you've been walking with God for a while, but it's just not clear what those gifts are. Well, that's really what I'd like to focus on is some some keys, some understanding from the scriptures as to how to maybe find and discover or really clarify those gifts. And we find those in, uh, or some of the encouragement in Romans chapter 12. So if you'll turn to Romans chapter 12, and if we begin in verse 1, there are some great truths about this. Romans 12, 1 says, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what the will of God is, the thing which is good and pleasing and perfect. Okay, so what is he saying here? First, he's um, urging, we're being urged in Romans, God is urging us, Paul is the writer, God is the author. The first thing we're being urged to do is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. So I would say the first key in really understanding that gift of God that is in us and stirring it up is to wholeheartedly be a living sacrifice. In other words, be all in for God. That would be the starting point. It's difficult to really understand our gifts and callings unless we're all in. Unless we say, God, I'm all in for you. I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what what we're, we're encouraged to do is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, to really be all in for God, which is our reasonable service for all he's done for us. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what the will of God is. So what is that all about? Well, if we're going to be all in for God, then what he's asking for us to do is not be conformed to the pattern of the world, not be like everybody else in the world who's not um, committing themselves to God, who's not all in, we're, we're not to be like that. What we are to be is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, and the reason is, and it, the REV states it, so that you can test and approve what the will of God is. In other words, finding out that thing which is good and pleasing and perfect. So here's a fascinating and a tremendous key to beginning to understand those gifts within us is, is testing and approving the will of God for our life. See, life is about learning and building a relationship with God and with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're not saved, obviously it would begin with getting saved, with making Christ your Lord and then believing that God raised him from the dead. But once we've done that and we're saved, we commit ourselves to him and we 
are not conformed to the world, but we begin to, we transform ourselves. So, so we start to test and approve what the will of God is. How do we do that? By trying things, by trying out, you know, where, where are the gifts and callings? Where are the inclinations that you have with God? And sometimes they're just not quite clear. So you test it, you try it, you know, well, maybe you're inclined to music, or maybe you think you're inclined to music. Well, then test it, try it. Try singing, try playing, try the instrument. Maybe you're inclined toward teaching. Maybe you're inclined toward, you know, engineering or whatever that might be. Is you try it out, um, and you test it out, and you might find this suits you well, or might find that you don't. We do this often with if uh, uh, we go off to college and we try out a class here, and we see, well, maybe accounting is the field for me, and then you take accounting uh, 101 and decide that's not for you at all. So you mark that off and do something else. But anyway, the walk with God is that way as well. It's testing. We test things out and some things don't work and other things do, but that's how we ultimately we're praying. We're listening to God. We're putting him first. You do the best that you can. And it says, ultimately we test and approve what the will of God is for our lives. The thing which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, why do we say this is really where we, uh, how it can help us understand what our gifts and calling are? Well, because look at verse three. Look at what it's talking about in the setup here. Verse three says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think sensibly in accordance with that measure of faith or measure of trust God has allotted to each one. You see, the scripture tells us that God has has given a measure of faith to each one. One, every member of the body of Christ has a measure of faith or trust. When you become a member of the family, God gives this measure of faith. It doesn't all look the same, this trust, but each one has a gift. How do we know that? Well, it's going to tell us that. Let's read on. Look at verse 4 of Romans 12. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. I mean, this, I think, is quite clear. He's saying, look, in the body, there are different parts. There's a heart, there's a lung, there's an ear, there's a nose, there's an eye, there's a mouth, there's a hand. And he's saying, all the parts don't have the same function at all. So, you know, the heart does a great job of being a heart, but the heart does a lousy job of being an eye. It doesn't see very well, but it does really well. But the eye does a great job of seeing, but it doesn't do a very good job of picking up a pencil. That's what the hand would do, you know, so on. So you get the point. There are different functions, and God has said that that he's given each of us a measure of trust that he's allotted to each one like that. Look at verse 6. It says, but since we have gifts that differ, 
gifts that differ according to the grace that was given us. So that seems pretty clear. We have gifts. Those gifts, they're different according to the grace that was given us. We read that God gave a measure of trust. God is allotted to each one a part of the body, a function in the body, our job is to understand what that part is, what our function is, and then it's to do our part. That's the gift. It's using our gift. That's what it means to stir up the gift or to fan it into flame. Look at, um, if we keep reading this section here in Romans, God gives us some examples. So, for instance, we're still in verse 6. It says, If it is prophecy, talking about if this gift, if it's prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our trust. In other words, if that's been, if that's the long suit area and the gifting, well then let's do it. Let's get busy doing that. Verse seven says, if it is serving, let us give ourselves to our serving. If your long suit gifting is in the area of service and helping others or hospitality or generosity or any other way of serving, if that's where the heartfelt gift is, well then let's give ourselves to our serving. In other words, get busy doing your part, your in your calling, get busy doing it. Look at the next one. If it is teaching to teaching. In other words, if teaching is that calling and gift, well then God's encouragement is get busy teaching. Uh, verse eight says, if it is encouragement, to encouragement. If gifting and talent is encouraging people, others, well then, are you using that gift? Are you encouraging others? Are you speaking? Or or are you holding back, which is being timid? It's to get busy doing it. Look at these other examples. The one who gives, do it with liberality. If giving, if if uh, part of the body of Christ, if you're if you have resources to give, uh, successful in business or in practice or something like that, and where your heartfelt gifting is in funding and resources and giving, well, do it with liberality. Go for it and be blessed and give with that. The next one, the one who leads and cares for people, do it with diligence. If leadership is gifting and calling for you, then the encouragement is to get busy doing it. And finally, the one who shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. If mercy, that might it, it can look many different ways, but it might look like doctors. It might look like nurses, people who, who have compassion and mercy toward others. The encouragement is to get busy doing it. Now, all of these in Romans 12 are simply examples. You don't look in here and say, well, wait, I don't see, I'm not sure mine is teaching or encouragement or mercy or things like that. That's not the point. The point, these are simply examples of different parts of the body trying to give us a broad range, but it's certainly not limited. Sometimes people, they're looking in the scriptures to try and find themselves in one of these. They say, well, I don't see mine, you know, because I'm inclined toward music, but I don't see music as a ministry 
Of course, music is a ministry. Of course, many, many things, many capacities are gifts and callings. So we're simply looking here at the pattern. The encouragement of God is whatever is that each one of us has a gift according to the measure of trust that God has allotted to each one. And God's encouragement is get busy doing your job. Now, there's another point here that's very helpful to realize, and that is God did not give us a measure of trust to do everybody else's part, but he did give us the measure of trust and faith to do our part. He equips us to do what we need to do to carry out our function and our part in the body of Christ to the best of our ability. Sometimes the tendency is to look at others and be distracted by what others and say, well, I can't do what he does, or I can't do what she does, or they, and, and things like that. Well, God didn't give us necessarily the trust to do what somebody else does, and we're not encouraged to look at others and do what they do. We're encouraged to do our part, to understand, remember, to test and approve what the will of God is for us and then to do our part. Um, there, This word measure, by the way, that we looked at in verse 3, the measure of trust God has allotted each one, the Greek word measure there is the word metron. And what it means is a, it's simply a, it's a measurement. It's how we are to measure ourselves, if you will. You know, you're in cooking and it asks for a cup of water or a cup of flour. So you would take a measuring cup and you would measure the cup of water. That's how you measure the benchmark of what it's supposed to be. Well, God tells us here that the measure of trust that God has allotted each one, that's the benchmark we're to use in doing our part, not somebody else's benchmark. We don't have the time in this teaching today to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, but if we were to look and study the life of the Apostle Paul, it's very clear, and he talks a lot about his measure, his gifting to bring the good news to the Gentiles. And his benchmark throughout his whole ministry was very, very specific and clear to the benchmark of the calling and the gifting that God gave him. And there's some verses in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 10. And if you look in the section, verses 12 to 18, and we're not going to read them, but they really, I think five or more times, they state that the verses are talking about people who try and compare themselves to others and measure themselves against others. And what Paul encourages is to measure according to the measure of the sphere that God has appointed to us as a measure. In other words, how we're to measure and benchmark our lives is against the calling and the gifting that God has given us. When Paul encouraged Timothy to stir up the gift, he encouraged him to stir up the gift that was in Timothy. He wasn't encouraging Timothy to stir up somebody else's gift or to look to what somebody else was doing. He was encouraging Timothy to stir up the gift that was in him, and that's exactly what God encourages us to do also. 
So that's a little bit about sort of our individual gifts and callings that we see from the book of Romans. But the other question then is, how do those gifts and callings work together in the body of Christ? And again, this is all over the New Testament in many sections, but perhaps the greatest section dealing with this is in the book of Ephesians. And so if you'll Turn to the book of Ephesians, and in chapter 4, let's remember that the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about God's calling and what he's done for us. Again, his plan of salvation and how he called us to be part of the family. And remember that when he called us into the family, he gave us each a part to do. And so when we get to chapter 4, the encouragement, chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians are all about our part. It's not, it's not about what, what God has done for us. It's about our response to God's calling in our lives. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called. And it goes on to handle some great truths. But let's pick up in verse 7. Because verse 7 Listen, it says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measured portion of Christ's gift. So let's, let's look at it again. Grace was given to each one of us, each of us in the body of Christ. Grace was given how? According to the measured portion, the metron, the measured portion of Christ's gift. We were given a gift in the calling that he gave us, and that's the measurement. And grace was given to us according to that gift. It goes on to say in verse 8, that's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took captivity captive and gave gifts to people. And that's um, a quote from the Old Testament. Now, let's look in verse 11, because this really begins to set the, our gifting within the context of the body of Christ. Verse 11 says, And he gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the holy ones for the work of ministry with the goal of building up the body of Christ. Now, this is beautiful. So what is he? Remember verse 7 said that each one of us was given grace according to the measured portion of God's gift. Each person in the body of Christ has a gift ministry, and ministry simply means service. We've been given a gift, a service to perform in the body of Christ. And guess what? He gave. He didn't just give us a gift and say, hey, uh, go figure it out, and I hope you do well. He actually gave us help within the body of Christ because it, in what we read in verse 11 is he gave some people— he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and pastors and teachers. And, and those are given, these are equipping ministries in the body of Christ. And they're there for the equipping of the saints, 
the holy ones for the work of ministry. In other words, God gave us people to help us. That's what he gave us evangelists so we actually could hear the good news and get saved and become a part of the body of Christ. But he also gave us pastors to help us grow in our walk and learn in our walk and relationship with God. He gave us teachers to teach us, to help us understand God's heart and his will and get a knowledge of God through the scriptures and learn. And he gave us prophets and he gave us evangelists. All of these are to equip us, every member of the body of Christ, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, these these are people and ministries given to equip each one for the work of ministry, for the work of service, for the work of gifting and calling. Isn't that wonderful? That's why it's so helpful and important to fellowship with other saints and other believers and be around the saints in the body of Christ because it's it's there that we get the equipping and the pastoring and the teaching and the counseling and all of the different things that help us in our walk with God so that we can perform our service, so that we grow up and do our part. And the reason for that, again, in verse 11, or in verse 12, the goal of this, it says it's with the goal of building up the body of Christ, that as each person, as each of us does our part, then the body of Christ is built up, both locally, but also collectively around the world, all that Christ is doing around the world. Verse 13 says, so here's how long this happens, this equipping and working and the service. Verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, growing into a mature person, attaining to the measure That's the word again, metron, the measure of the full stature of Christ. Wow, this is incredible because the goal is, number one, it's building up the body of Christ. Number two, it's until we actually all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, when do we all come in the full unity of the faith? And when do we come in that full knowledge of the Son of God? When do we grow as a body into that fully mature person with the measure being uh, the full stature of Christ? Well, we do that when the Lord returns, right? One day when the Lord returns, when he comes and gathers his body, we are going to be that full, mature body of Christ. We're going to be the measure of the full stature of Christ. We're going to have the full knowledge. We're going to be completely unified. All of that is going to happen fully when Christ returns. Until he returns, we are part of the body of Christ. And by the way, that body started 2,000 years ago, and it's going to go until the Lord returns. So every generation is responsible to continue in the growing and the building of the body of Christ until we all come in that full measure of the stature of Christ. Every single part is important. So in essence, God called us to be part of the family, and his encouragement here in chapter 4 of Ephesians is, could you grow up and get along and do your 
part. That's what he's asked us to do. And, and verse 14 gives us the reason is so that we are no longer children tossed here and there and blown about by every wind of doctrine. That we don't stay children. We, we got born into the family and we started out as children, but we don't stay as children. We are now growing up and maturing in the body of Christ and doing our part as long as we have breath. Here's the encouragement of this section. Verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. That is stirring up the gift, because it's because God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Here we're being exhorted, speak the truth in love. Well, where? In the body of Christ. Well, in the body of Christ, is that our, our gathering of, of local believers? Sure it is. Is it the body of Christ that isn't even our local believers? Sure it is. How about in our families? How about our children? How about our grandchildren? How about our parents? How about relatives? All of the above, we are to, we, it's speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in him in every way, him who is the head, Christ. We are growing every day. Remember, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our life is about building and growing in our relationship with God and with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and with each other, speaking the truth in love with each other. And then it says, from whom, from who? From Christ. So Christ is the head. From Christ, the whole body being fitted together and held together by every supporting ligament. So now we're talking about the whole body of Christ. And by the way, is the whole body of Christ all Christians? Sure it is. So whether it's here, whether it's a covert, whether it's Africa, whether it's Europe, whether it's Asia, whether, uh, you know, whether it's in the uh, 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 countries all over the world, this is the body of Christ. It's the whole body. If you've confessed Christ as your Lord, believe that God raised him from the dead, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a part of the body, and the gifts that you're given, your service is to the body of Christ. And it's saying here the whole body, the whole body is fitted together and held together by every supporting ligament. I was recently sharing some of this in Ephesians 4 with uh, one of the individuals in our Monday night Bible study, and uh, he is an orthopedic surgeon. And I asked him, is there anything you can tell us about ligaments and supporting ligaments that might be helpful in understanding this? And his comment was, well, you know, bones, if you just have bones, but you have no ligaments, you've got no body. 
it's all just falling apart. You've got bones, but it, it, it doesn't fit together. It can't go anywhere. It can't do anything. What, what fits the body and the bones together are the ligaments. That's what it's all held together. It's held together by the supporting ligaments. Then you have on the ligaments, you've got the muscle and all the other things. So otherwise, there's no body. There's no moving forward being able to do anything. So Christ is the head. But what he's saying to us is that every single member, the entire body is completely fitted together and held together by that which every ligament provides. Now listen, with each individual part doing its proper function. That's you, that's me, that's every member of the body of Christ. If you're not stirring up the gift that is in you, then the body of Christ is lacking that peace that only you can do. And there is a part in the body of Christ for everyone, and it is a part that only you can do. If you think of your physical body, every single part, every piece is important. There's things that are happening that only that part can do. And if if that part is not functioning, if it's not doing its job, then the body as a whole is not working the way it could. It's not as healthy as it could be. And this is the analogy God is giving to us by saying, with each individual part doing its proper function. That's serving. That's doing your part in the body of Christ. And when that happens, look, the verse, uh, latter part of verse 16 says, produces the growth of the body with the goal of building itself up in love. How the body of Christ grows is with each person doing their part. And the goal is building itself up. And it's also, it's building itself up in love. The body of Christ gets stronger and builds itself up as each individual person is doing their part. And this is why it's so important if we come back to the, really the title of this teaching and Paul at the end of his life, and he's with Timothy. And Paul is not going to be around that much longer. Paul's, again, his end of his life was coming, but it's now the next generation. And his encouragement, his admonition to Timothy, he says, I'm reminding you, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. In other words, Timothy, stir it up, rekindle the flame, make sure that that flame stays hot, do your part in the body of Christ. And really, this is the message, the encouragement of the message uh, for us today in this teaching is to, the, the encouragement is stir up the gift of God that is in you to, to, and, and how do we do that? By, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, become a follower. If you are, grow up in relation with God and Jesus Christ in each other, and then serve, do your part, fulfill your function in the body of Christ. This will, this will ultimately result in the body of Christ being built up 
in love. And as you live life to the praise of his glory, you will be fulfilling your function. And one day when Christ returns, you will be rewarded for your faithful service to him. God bless you.